watchers in the fourth dimension. It's as if the TARDIS was dying. That way leads to death. Hello and welcome back to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. And you're in a perfectly safe place here. You've got three different ways to run. This episode, Terry Nation is back again with Death to the Daleks. But before we tackle the latest set of Terry tropes, Don's going to take a look at the mail. Unusually, it's only been a week since we last recorded, so we've got little less mail than usual. Nevertheless, Don, over to you. For the Scorchies, Nathan Laws had this to say, My daughter dressed up as Princess Joe of TARDIS back at Chicago TARDIS in 2015 and danced on stage at the costume competition to Joe is Making a Thing while messing with one of her toys as the thing. She absolutely loved the Scorchies and thought it was so funny. That's awesome. I would love to see that. I love it. Oh, that's great. For our season 10 retrospective, Dave Sanderson said this, I still love this season. It varies in quality, but there's something familiar and warming about the whole thing. I'd watch this and season 11, my first as a child, if I had to choose a top two for Pertwee. Can't wait for you to meet spoilers. We think that means Sarah Jane Smith. We have. So far, we really love her. Ben Flay said, that was funny to listen to. Thank you, Ben. (laughs) Now we're going to go back to Antony. And actually, before I do that, There's a question I want to put in each of your minds that we'll try to answer by the end of this recording. And that's this. Is Terry Nation taking the piss with this serial? (laughs) Back to you, Anthony. All right. Thank you, Don. And as a reminder to all of our listeners, we love hearing all of your feedback, comments and questions. And as you've heard, we do try to read out as many of them as possible. You can get in touch with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at at watchers4d or via email at watchers4d at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Now, we'll get started on Death of the Daleks with a quick look behind the scenes. Following the success of their return in Season 10, producer Barry Letts and script editor Terence Dix were keen to have the Daleks back again for Season 11 partially because they were well aware of the publicity benefits of bringing them back and that they could bring a mid-season ratings bump with them. In accordance with their prior arrangement with Terry Nation, he was given first refusal on writing the serial, and for the second year running, he decided he was going to do it. This actually suited Letts and Dix, who had planned to exclusively use veteran Doctor Who writers on season 11, while much of their attention was focused on their other show, Moonbase (laughs) 3. More on that later. Dix had a number of items on his wish list for the serial. He wanted to see a quest to find a cure for an intergalactic plague, an advanced society that had reverted to barbarism, a stronger female character than Rebecca in Terry Nation's last outing, and for the Daleks to be less of the focus. Nation came back with a storyline entitled The Exelons, in reference to the new aliens that he had devised, with their name being derived from the elixir, which was the cure to the space plague. Robert Holmes, who was trailing Dix to become the new script editor and, in reality, did the job himself for this serial, suggested that the connection between the alien's name and the elixir was too obvious, and so the latter became the mineral perinium, which in the US is just pronounced perinum. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. When the scripts were fully commissioned, the serial was renamed to Death to the Daleks, and it's generally speculated that this was suggested by Holmes, who famously disliked Nation's infamous creations. 
Several modifications were made to the scripts to avoid too many similarities with Planet of the Daleks, including changing the planet Exelon from being a jungle planet to one that was barren and rocky. And the humans were put down as being a bit more established on the planet than the hunted Thals in Planet of the Daleks. Initially, the Exelon city was going to be powered by the Elixir, and it was then going to be destroyed when the Daleks stole all of it, and the humans would have then had to help the Exelons to reverse the decline of their civilization, and they would then gift the humans some Elixir in return. Nation also gave the character of Jill Tarrant one of his very favorite last names, which can be found in many different scripts across many different shows throughout his career. Always love a Tarrant in a Nation script. The director's job for this serial was originally offered to Paddy Russell, who instead chose to direct the previous serial, Invasion of the Dinosaurs. Next choice was Michael Bryant, who we'd previously seen in The Big Chair for Colony in Space, The Sea Devils, and The Green Death. Of course, as always, he had several challenges to deal with in working on this serial. First of all was the same old problem of only having three good Daleks, and they were still the old ones from the 60s. But he also had three of those so-called goon Daleks that were built for Planet of the Daleks. Bryant decided to have all six of them repainted in a silver and black livery, feeling that this better reflected their original monochrome appearances. Bryant also had to rework his location shooting schedule when Pertwee suffered from a flare-up of his chronic back pain while Elizabeth Sladen injured her ankle while running on muddy ground. Some things never change, apparently. Joining Bryant on the creative team, we have Kerry Blyton returning to provide incidental music. We had previously heard his work on Doctor Who and the Silurians. Yeah. That being said, <laughs> rather than messing around with a synthesizer this time, he instead brought with him the London saxophone quartet. I can already hear Julie cheering. Okay. <laughs> I don't think that's the sound you're hearing. I was fully expecting, you know, ooh, woodwind, yay, but there were some questionable moments for sure. We'll get into that. As designer, we have the first contribution of Colin Green, although we won't see him again until season 20, so we'll be waiting a while. And he's best known for work on the usual favourites, Dixon of Doc Green, Top of the Pops, EastEnders, and of course, Zed Cars. Of course. And last but not least, as costumer, we have L. Roland Warren making the first of four contributions to the show. We'll see his work later on in this season, as well as in seasons 13 and 16. And he was best known for work on Are You Being Served and Top of the Pops. No Zed cars in his career. <laughs> and it was during location filming that Barry Letts decided that he would be leaving the show at the end of the recording block. But not for Moonbase 3, as he had originally anticipated. That did not do well in its first season and was promptly cancelled. In late November 1973, the BBC confirmed that the show would continue for a 12th season with Philip Hinchcliffe taking over as producer. More on him in a few episodes' time. Letts wasn't the only key player to decide to move on during the making of this serial. In mid-December 1973, when the production crew broke for their Christmas vacation, Pertwee made a decision on his own future. Following Katie Manning's departure, Roger Delgado's untimely death, Pending departures of Barry Letts and Terence Dix, and the slow phasing out of the unit regulars, Pertwee was acutely aware that the individuals who had helped define his era were all leaving for one reason or another. This, combined with his ongoing back pain and mounting boredom with the show, convinced him that it was time to move on. BBC head of drama Sean Sutton called him personally to ask him to stay. Pertwee asked for a significant pay rise, which was promptly declined. His departure was announced to the press on February the 8th, 1974, during the broadcast of the Invasion of the Dinosaurs. Death to the Daleks was broadcast from February 23rd to March 16th, 1974, and, as anticipated, the Daleks did bring a ratings bump for the show, with episode 3 once again exceeding 10 million viewers. Hurrah! 
And with that, we're at the end of the behind the scenes segment, which means that it's time for our short summary, which is in the hands of Riley this episode. Over to you, my friend. The doctor in Sarah Jane's beach blanket bingo is interrupted by a power-draining fog and some oversized Jawas. The doctor wanders off like a toddler at a mall. Sarah Jane is abducted and is given the worst spa day experience ever. The doctor discovers a human expedition looking for a miracle drug and what do you know, the Daleks happen to stop by and are looking for the same thing. The captain of the expedition decides that making a deal to work together with the Daleks would be a good idea. Obviously, there is no way that anyone would ever regret that decision. Later, the humans have a leadership change that seems pretty cool with enslavement and mass executions of the locals. The Daleks are preparing an absolutely shocking and unexpected betrayal, who would have thought, and the Doctor decides to go to the hottest new escape rooms in the universe. Sarah Jane, meanwhile, successfully foils the Daleks' betrayal, the Doctor destroys the sentient structure that kept everyone trapped on the planet, and the Daleks are destroyed for failing to do a baggage check before their flight. All ends well as the humans get the drug off the planet, but will most likely come back to claim that natural resource as their own while offering only slave wages to the locals. <laughs> America. <laughs> All right, let's dig in. Part one. Okay, right before we get there, I'm going to make one comment that I probably should have made before. Two things. If Pertwee has chronic back pain, are his gurns actually him gurning or is it just him in pain? <laughs> and two, why does he insist on keeping all of these crazy physical stuntman things going on when it hurts him? Just wanted to throw that out there. Keeping up appearances. Plus, it's often a stuntman. Anyway, sorry. Moving on. Someone's got to keep Terry Walsh in a job. Julie's going to ask questions. I'm going to ask a question. And that is, what does the doctor's bathing suit look like? <laughs> <laughs> it's a burkini. It's frilly for some reason. <laughs> All right. Into episode one. We carry over from the location they intended to go to at the end of the last serial. Oh, we start out with the return of the It's Man. <laughs> <laughs> Random guy gets shot. Random guy gets shot with an arrow, falls into the water. Very kind of cool, actually. <laughs> and in our establishing shots, we do get our only instance of Quarry Quarry for the season. And it's that kind of fills out through this entire serial. Yes, lots of quarries. But I like what Michael Bryant does here. He's repeating that trick of using a smoke machine in the quarry to give it kind of an otherworldly effect. Uh-huh. I dig it. I'm going to say this before we get into the actual plot. The first 15 minutes of this serial are amazing. It's well-directed. It's atmospheric. For a long time, there's no music. They just used wind howling, and it works so well. For the first 15 minutes. For the first 15 minutes. That's why I asked that question at the beginning, because I think how much you enjoy this story depends on how you choose to interpret it. Hmm, that's fair. I thought just watching the entire thing, it felt very, what's the term for it? It seemed like they were like trying new things, both from a direction perspective and a music perspective. That's why I kind of hesitated on the music aspect, because for this first episode, I rather enjoyed the music. I thought it added to the atmosphere. Sometimes when they did add something, it was just percussion, that weird rattle yeah. thing. I can picture it in my head. I always forget what that thing is called. I thought all of that was really well done. And then as we got into episodes two, three, and four, I was like, You've just gone into straight up jazz and none yeah. of it makes sense. And it just is kind of all over the place. I think that kind of started with the Dalek theme at the end of episode one. But as far as the good bit goes, 
it's very well done. It's probably one of my favorite bits of direction I've seen in the entire serial. Although it does make the doctor look like an ass when Sarah Jane, obviously scared, says you'll be here when I get back. He says yes <laughs> and immediately wanders off. It's interesting because I think this story starts out almost exactly like a Hartnell era story. And it's Michael Bryant's direction that makes it different to that. Mm -hmm. But you have things like something going wrong with the TARDIS and they kind of crash land and they can't just leave. They've got to fix the thing that's made the TARDIS go wrong before they can leave. And we see things like the return of the chest in the TARDIS. There's a petrified life form as soon as they get out, which is one of my favorite Terry tropes. And then, of course, the Doctor wanders off and they get separated. It really does feel like Terry Nation has not really watched any of the shows since he finished his first run and he's just kind of going back to old tropes pretty quickly. They're not paying him to watch it. Yeah, <laughs> but it does work. As I said, I do think Michael Bryan does something different with the direction that adds another dimension to it. What I find funny about that as well is we talk about Terry Nation and all of his favorite things to do. I also find it ironic that they're like, we want this to have Daleks, but we don't want them to be the most important. So I think that's one of the reasons why Terry's just like, well, then screw it. I'm just going to throw things at the wall and see what sticks. Yeah, this might have been better if they weren't in it. But I also, I realized just looking at Antony's amazing Terry Nation bingo card, I think we may have room to expand on that, which is the native locals wearing some sort of weird fur or hood <laughs> hides their appearance. Mm -hmm. And of course, slave mining labor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That yeah. pops up a lot. I'll have to work on a revision. Excellent. Did anyone else find Sarah Jane to be a little bit of a weaker character in this? In some parts of it, yes. In some parts of it, no. I did like the fact that the natives pretty much took the doctor out immediately and Sarah Jane bludgeoned one. And as far as we know, that thing's corpse is still in the TARDIS. And that's kind of awesome. That was very Barbara-esque of her. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was very much a back and forth with Sarah Jane. I don't know if Terry Nation really knew what to do with her as much as he's done with other companions in the past. That could just be me. That is fair. Once we get to the human Earth people, we'll talk about that more. I think there's an important moment here that shows that Terry Nation is able to adjust maybe a little bit to where the show is now, and that is when they're outside of the TARDIS right at the beginning. Sarah Jane makes a comment about their location, making a comment like, this doesn't, you know, where would the beaches be or something to that effect, you know, thinking it would be Florana. And the old third doctor would have probably just straight up called her an idiot. But this time he actually believes that she was being sarcastic. And we don't even know if she is being sarcastic or not. But I thought that was a pleasant change. Well, that whole beginning was kind of like those other doctor companion moments where they're just bantering and it's fun. Mm -hmm. And we get a little bit more of just what their relationship is like. And I think the other thing to think about is the last three stories, Time Warrior, Invasion of the Dinosaurs, and now this, more or less run straight into each other. So her only real experience of traveling in the TARDIS is the Doctor missing where he means to be on the return to present-day Earth in Invasion of the Dinosaurs. So I suspect it is a little bit of sarcasm because she already knows he's not that great at piloting the damn thing. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Good point. And everyone seems very much happy with the first 15 minutes. Does that include the sets? Because I thought the sets, not just here, but overall in the entire serial were very good. Yeah. I thought so. The model work was good as well. Yes, and even yeah. the CSO when Sarah finds the city isn't too bad for a change. I mean, all of it would have looked better in black and white. 
but that's not their fault. I mean, there was a little bit of a little bit of a weird CSO thing going on with the Marine Space Base and even the city. But I like the look of the city. I thought it was kind of cool. So I'm not going to complain about that. So at what point does that go downhill? You said the first 15 minutes. Are we talking up until we meet the crew? There's some little bits with the crew. I mean, I went back and forth with this. And finally, I just I decided it was a farce and went on. <laughs> the thing that really got me, and it does happen at the end, is, I mean, first of all, we meet all of the red-shirted blue shirts that they actually have Starfleet insignias just turned on their side, which I thought was, <laughs> was kind of weird. That's a design trick that Blake Seven does as well. <sighs> But the thing that really got me was right when the Daleks show up and that goofy ass Dalek theme starts. Yes. Yes. And I could no longer take it seriously. And it's weird because they have like that. But then they have other things. They've got the howling wind sound and the chanting of the native Exelons. They're really good audio design. And then your main bad guys show up and it's a comedy theme. I was going to say it's a slapstick theme. Sounds like when I hear that theme, I think of just straight up slapstick. Pretty much. I was sitting there. I was like, really? We're going to just have clarinet, saxophone thing? This is weird. I didn't like that. So I went back and forth on things. And for me, either you could have gotten rid of the Marine Space Corps people or you could have gotten rid of the Daleks. Could go either way. Get rid of one or the other and you still have enough of a story going on. I didn't particularly care for the Marine Space Corps' entire storyline. I liked them. I mean, I, I'm not <laughs> sure I care about the storyline, but I like the characters. And we've got Captain Railton, who is played by John Abenary, otherwise known as General Moral Duty. <gasps> we've got Jill Tarrant, and hello, Jill Tarrant. <laughs> and then Galloway and Hamilton. I kind of like them as a crew. I think they add another dimension to it. I mean, they had a redhead, which I liked for obvious reasons, and the one guy that had a personality, which was Galloway. And the rest of them just kind of blended together for me. What we also had was the one that died at the very beginning. His name was Jack. And so we had a Jack and Jill. <laughs> was that the guy that was in their base lying on the thing? No, that was their captain. Captain Railton. Jack Railton. Yeah. Wonder who yeah. Oh, well. oh, was he was Jack? I thought the captain's name was Richard. Someone was Jack because I was like, really? We have a Jack and Jill? Because there was a guy that was there. He was just laying on, oh. on a sick bed. That was the commander, yeah, that was the, commander. The, um, the second in command. And then he got captured. Or Maybe I missed something. I thought there was a Jack. <laughs> um, maybe it was the guy we saw killed at the beginning. I'm going with that. I don't think there's a Jack. Yeah, there is. He was the guy at the beginning. I'm looking at the wiki now. <laughs> he doesn't get credited. <laughs> I remember you, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag justice for Jack. <gasps> The sound of taps played badly on the synthesizer in the distance. <laughs> they actually have a good noble goal. They're trying to save millions of people. But this chemical, perineum. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't get over the name. It's it's hard to reach. Oh. <laughs> it's hard to get to. It's after really mine to get to it. <laughs> Some are better at it than others. True. Oh my goodness. <laughs> One of my personal favorite moments in the first episode was the doctor speaking to the space marine corps and he makes a comment about sarah jane saying i hope she had the good sense to stay on the ship after i was captured i was like how would she know you were captured like hundreds of yards away she doesn't know what happened you just left her 
<laughs> and I love what Michael Bryant does with her because as soon as the doctor's being told that the city is forbidden, if you're caught near it, it's certain death. There's that fade to her getting mm-hmm. closer and closer to it. It's a little heavy handed, but it works quite well. I also love the fact that her bathing suit tied into her other outfit really well. Yes, she's a stylish lady. All right, so they're waiting on a relief ship and they don't know whether or not their message got out. And as soon as they talk about it, they hear a spaceship. And it's like, oh, it must be the relief ship. Terribly convenient. You're just telling the doctor about it. And guess what? Daleks, we're the dumb theme and they're going to exterminate everyone. Except that it makes a weird, gross noise instead of the normal shooting noise. It was a little gross. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yes. I'm surprised it wasn't Riley who commented on it being disgusting. I guess it's not so much for the audio, it's just the visuals for me. But uh. <laughs> we do have the appearance of our wee salt shakers. We do. <laughs> All right, part two. It actually took me until part two to really understand that it wasn't Dudley Simpson doing the music. <laughs> so I just thought, well, I guess he decided to change from synth and not go back to his normal symphonic roots and did something very weird. And then I discovered that, oh, it wasn't Dudders. So here's what I would have done. I would have done like heavy synth in the TARDIS scenes in part one before it loses power. And then after the TARDIS loses power, switch to more organic instrumentation. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been a really cool way for the music to lose its electricity as well. Uh, And I would rejoice the entire time. (laughs) I was actually curious. So I know the Daleks, they move around by what, static electricity or something? So Don't don't think about it too much. Don't do it. (laughs) Yeah, it's questionable. So apparently now they've got those slats around the middle that draw power from the atmosphere or something like that. They're all terrain Daleks now. They're psychokinetic now. Okay. That's what it was, psychokinetic, whatever that means. But that little dialogue scene between Sarah Jane and the Doctor there, her line delivery was really funny, really, really good. But part about the movement of the Daleks. Speaking of which, these are very um, ADHD Daleks. Have you noticed how much they move around? These Daleks have anxiety. Yeah. The worst of which (laughs) happens in episode four. But yes, they're twitchy. Yeah, they're really neurotic. They also don't know how to whisper when they're saying because of this alliance, which is a great idea. I know when somebody pulls a gun on me and it jams, my first thing is like, why don't we just be friends, man? I'm sure you won't try anything again. It's all good. And the other complicated part of that deal is aren't the Daleks needing the drug in order to just save their slave workforce on other planets? Am I reading too much into that? It was so that they could hold the rest of the galaxy at hostage. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, that's what that was about. You don't really find that out until either episode three or four. They don't come right out and say it until one of those episodes, but that's essentially what it is. But what was their front in order to like, we'll share the drug together? Oh, they said that they've been hit by the space plague. Oh, okay. Now, going back to the weapons thing, sometimes Terry Nation reminds me of a toy collector in that he'll have this great idea, like, I'm going to take the weapons away from the Daleks. And you're like, oh, cool, let's take that out and play. And he's like, no, it stays in the package. It's fixed <laughs> within the next five minutes when they put different guns on. But you could have had, no, it stays. Okay, whatever, dude. I love it when we see them practicing with their substitute guns that they've oh got like God. little mini TARDISes. <laughs> 
us everything. Just going back to my question, where did they get it? <laughs> Don't think about it too hard. It falls <laughs> apart. <laughs> you okay, Don? No. No. <laughs> As this moves on, the bad Exelons, we'll call them the bad ones, really remind me more, I guess, of Tusken Raiders than Jawas. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in this particular sequence, because they're in a desert type environment. They're standing up on top of the dunes, looking down at the group, and they're doing an ambush. And I'm like, yep, this feels a lot like Star Wars. Still a couple of years before Star Wars, so... Good going, Doctor Who. <laughs> but at least the arrows won't do anything to the Daleks, right? Um, yeah, keep thinking. <laughs> the arrows <laughs> won't. Now they get set on fire later. The mobbing of the Dalek, it just seemed like they kind of just shook it a lot or something. I yeah. guess they were kind of beating on it a little bit, but there's so much Dalek destruction in the serial as a whole. Like you is. said at the beginning, Anthony, like they only had like three goon Daleks and three good ones. Like they're tearing up their props destroying them they're probably just destroying the goon ones so they probably make a substitution do a cut and then set the goon on fire but yeah this episode's a bit of a bloodbath because we get a dalek destroyed captain railton is shot and killed which is unexpected when you actually have a semi big name playing a character and commander stewart doesn't last that much longer once he gets captured he's dead by the end of the episode as well quite a bloodbath Oh, and the Daleks kill two Exelons just for shits and giggles. At <laughs> this point, Sarah Jane is going to be sacrificed. I love that the Doctor doesn't even know her that well, and he just rushes in and attacks the High Priest. Yeah. Would Season 8 Doctor have done that for Joe? Absolutely not. <laughs> Good job, dummy, getting yourself sacrificed like that. <laughs> uh, he really has changed so much in this time. But carrying the bastard ship onwards, we have Galloway, right? The commander wants to put <gasps> Hamilton in charge, and Galloway is just like, I'm sorry, I couldn't quite hear what you said just as the commander dies. What a bastard. <laughs> and his great, great thought is just, we need to work with the Daleks. That's mm -hmm. his great big plan. Just do what Captain Railton wanted to do. Uh, a great idea. And all they have to do is... You know, wipe out the renegade Exelons. A plot point that I don't think ever actually comes up again, but, you know. I do love how the Daleks just trust Galloway enough to tell him their plans, but as soon as he makes suggestions, they're like, yeah, no, just obey. Shut mm -hmm. up. We're in command. Isn't there another moment where it's almost like corporate talking to an office manager? <laughs> you got to get these people to work more. <laughs> we don't yeah. know how to do it. You need to figure it out. <laughs> There's a fair amount to unpack in this episode as well, because when the Exelons ask the Daleks and Galloway to wipe out all of the good Exelons, Galloway's attitude is, well, they're just savages. They don't matter. It's so very colonialist. You would think that that would be, a, I mean, I guess it's just a, a passing theme. I was hoping we'd have a little bit more moral discussion about this amongst the humans, but it is getting to the point where it doesn't really seem morally that different from the Daleks now, does he? No, no. One of the other things I wanted to point out, I know one of the things they were looking for for this serial was a stronger female character. I don't think they did that. No. But she's so pretty. She's got charisma. That's nice. A very nice smile, but no, she doesn't really do anything. Nope. It makes me very sad. That's probably a Terry Nation problem. Terry Nation does generally have a problem writing for that alien species called women. 
He just can't do it. <laughs> and then on top of that, so does Robert Holmes, who freely admits in interviews he doesn't know how to write for women. Just ask a woman. It's not that difficult. Actually, most of the time you could just write character, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden be like, and this person happens to be a woman. So that's the thing with Robert Holmes is his best female characters are literally where the director said, screw you, I'm going to cast a woman in this role that you wrote for a man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Amazing. You tricked me. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love that. We have another Terry trope here in Tunnels Underneath the City. That's where the Doctor and Sarah escape. That's where the good Exelons are and the Daleks are in pursuit. And... As we're getting towards the end of the episode, Sarah encounters who next episode we come to know as Belal. But that's where I was expecting the crash zoom. I was expecting that to be on the Exelon. Instead, we get a little bit more and we get the Doctor encountering the route and that's where our cliffhanger is. That was a nice little um, kind of false move there. Yes. And episode three. Part three. And the route was questionable as to its effectiveness because... You know me, I want strange monsters, but I couldn't really wrap my head around it. I guess it's because I don't really know how it attacks. It's like a match head, I guess. And anything that it strikes with its face just kind of like erupts. Riley. I was just confused as how it works. <laughs> you leave Gypsy alone. Okay. Oh, it, it is <laughs> Gypsy. Doing the best oh, my can. God. <laughs> oh, boy. I was expecting a Pertwee gun as he was dodging the route. Very disappointed we didn't get that. There is a gun later, but not yet. Once we meet Bilal and his friends, we get answers to the important question I'd been wondering last episode, which was, who the hell is lighting all these candles in these tunnels? I was wondering the same thing, and I'm glad there's actually an answer, not just it's atmospheric. Yeah, I was fully expecting it to just be because it's atmospheric. I think one of my favorite things is when the Dalek comes down... <laughs> And then Gypsy's attacking it. I guess I'll go with Gypsy. I love the doctor cheering. And he's like, yeah, yeah, get him, get him. <laughs> Good <laughs> shot, sir. A palpable hit. I think Pertwee's just taking the piss at this point, and I am here for it. Uh, that was awesome. When we get back to Bilal, whose makeup is rather interesting, that actor is actually still alive. And he's 102 years old now. What? what? Does he look like he did back then when he recorded that? <laughs> That's so rude, Riley. Oh. I seriously doubt it, but I was very impressed. He was delightful, honestly. I loved him. His performance, very good. Good emoting, despite being covered in makeup. Covered in costume, really. I was also very surprised when they finally showed like far away shot side by side from the doctor of how short he was. Yeah. He's actually the oldest living actor now to have appeared in the show. Aww. We also get the doctor saying that he needs to go on a diet. That was pretty funny when they're sneaking through that crevice. That was good. Well, part we obviously forgot to put his girdle on this episode. Oh. Another Shatner comparison right there. Yeah. And we get a lot of exposition on the background of the Exelons. Yes. Yes, it's kind of confusing in a way. So just so I have this down right, they were a very advanced race. They even made it to Earth. And apparently they came back mm -hmm. and then built this amazing city that I guess turned into kind of a AI from Terminator 2 kind of thing where it turns on them. And then 
now for some reason they've devolved so much that some of them can remember that it's evil and for some reason the other half of them have shifted on to worshiping it. That's basically it. All right, I got it's it. Return to Planet of the Apes. <laughs> it's the guys that are worshiping the bomb. That's who they are. I, you know, I had that feeling when they walk up to the outside of the city, like the gates of it. I was like, thinking the exact same thing. I forgot to mention it before, but when they were doing their whole worship thing and were going to sacrifice Sarah Jane, I love the chanting. The yes. chanting was amazing. I think I mentioned a little bit of that when I was, okay, complaining about the other music. That worked really well. There's so much of this that sets the right mood and atmosphere, and then you have the Dalek theme. <laughs> Which, at this point, is getting to dangerously repetitive levels to almost gunfighter OK Corral levels at this point, Tremaine. <laughs> it, it really was getting so overplayed Oy. all right guys i've just figured out this serial earlier we were talking about either taking out the humans or the daleks and it working better i think you take out the daleks right you've still got to have the humans to get the perineum but you've got the good exelons the bad exelons you make the bad exelons the big bad and mm -hmm. they've got to team up with the good exelons destroy the city and then they give them perineum as a thank you oh yeah because the daleks are pretty much there to be destroyed this is at least the second serial where you think the serial would actually be improved if you just took them out. Yep. But they're there to bring in ratings just for appearing. Yes, exactly. Speaking of which, their plan is to just put explosives on the shitties be on the shitties. Wow. <laughs> their plan is just to put explosives on the city's beacon to restore power. Guys, the city will just regenerate unless you destroy the city from the inside. Come on. This isn't how this works. They don't know that. The humans and the Daleks never actually got that exposition. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Anthony. That's very true. Gah. They didn't get that background. They didn't know that. Well, pardon me for judging the villains and calling them stupid. I mean, they are, but that's besides the point. <laughs> we go back and we see they're starting to mine for the perineum. Gypsy rises again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and this time we can see the Kirby wire. Yeah, it's not that bad. I recall there's one other wire work, I believe Ambassadors of Death, that I thought was incredibly poor. And I thought that was on a set. You could have done it much better. This is outdoors in daylight. I think they did a decent job taking all that into consideration. But we got things on fire. Yes. Yes. That was my favorite. First a Dalek and then one of the bad Exelons. And it's actually a really striking image. I can see what they're trying to do. The idea of some like tall, long thing rising from the water is quite a striking image. It just, and they did the best they can. Yeah. You could tell even when you couldn't see the wire, even when they did a good job with that, the gypsy was kind of hard to control. They couldn't really get like a mastery of movement on that. I kind of like that though. You know, having it as like a blind root of the city that's almost acting on instinct rather than being able to see anything so it's moving a little wildly i think it's kind of effective even if it does seem a little random we're gonna get to the city soon yeah Bilal takes the doctor to the city the doctor sends sarah back to the earth crew oh okay okay i gotta stop you right there right there <laughs> we've got to talk about this right here i'm talking fingers to the mouth Slow oh. caress of the oh. face. That what was... the hell? Pertwee's gonna Pertwee. Oh my god. <laughs> that made me feel a little bit uncomfortable. Not gonna lie. Yeah. Oh, John. Yeah. Oh, John. That was something else. But if we look past that, 
the one thing I did like about it is that the task that he gives her to do is an actually like useful task. It's not like he's saying, go back because I want you to be safe. He's like, no, I need you to get these people ready to get the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. So I'm more okay with that split up because I think logically it actually makes sense. Yeah. Whereas with Joe, he would have just said, it's not safe for you to come with me. Absolutely. Go hang out with Jill. Make some coffee. (laughs) (laughs) And now we're going to get to the video game portion of the cereal. Best part. (laughs) I have questions. I have enthusiasm. (laughs) I love their collection of spirit Halloween skeletons. Once they get in. (laughs) This obviously makes me happy. (laughs) We solve the child's first maze thing by using the super advanced touch sensitive screen. How the hell do the Daleks do it? How do they touch it? That one. Tell me. (laughs) I had the same exact question. I think we should have just seen them blow a hole in the wall. (laughs) Like they did with the floor once we get there. Then the wall heals up behind them. That would have been really cool. There's so many of these where you can tell they thought of the challenge for the doctor. And they're like, well, how are the Daleks going to get through it? Uh, Don't show just it. skip it. Just skip it. Just go on. <laughs> Don't ask awkward questions. Uh, pretty much. But then we get, I'm, I'm going there, the best cliffhanger in the history of <laughs> Doctor Who. <laughs> oh my god. I, mm. Yeah. After reading the behind the scenes, and I think you might have briefly mentioned it, they had to rewrite some things and they had to like spur of the moment figure out what the cliffhanger was going to be. But my God, I was disappointed. Yeah. So part three was underrunning. Part four was overrunning once they actually recorded it. I think where the cliffhanger was meant to be was when the Doctor and Bilal were at the symbols outside and the Daleks were approaching and the Daleks start shooting. I think that's where the part three cliffhanger was meant to be. It got moved, so it was this. I don't care. It's so gloriously stupid. (laughs) I've watched it like four or five times now, and I laugh harder every time because it's this super dramatic thing, and it's a floor, man. (laughs) And it's not just the floor. It's a crash zoom on the floor. It's a crash zoom on the floor, and let's face it, if you look at the set, even Pertwee, with his back issues, could have just jumped over it. Yeah. Maybe a big long step. He's a tall guy. That was all he had to do. I think this was the moment when Pertwee decided to leave. <laughs> <laughs> or it might have been in part four, but we'll get back to that. Episode four? On to part four. Okay. I feel like using the sonic screwdriver is cheating. Ah. Yes. Because this is supposed to be an intelligence thing. So why use a sonic? Why didn't he just pull that little whatever that was and just used that that would be like a little bit more intelligence than being like oh hey i'm just gonna sit here and go even after doing his initial one of the first set of squares or triangles or whatever it was he doesn't seem to have quite figured out that it's safe to step on the white ones so he has Uh to do it again for the next set it's like dude come on there's a pattern here it's kind of obvious they gotta fill up the time man i guess so already running short I have to admit, I absolutely love this part of the serial. If they could have just expanded it out to like most of the entire serial of just them going from one room to another room, going through these puzzles, I would have been so, so happy. So, so happy. 
It reminds me of one of the Celestial Toy Maker when they're going mm-hmm. through all the different things, and or it reminded me of the Keys of Marinus, which was our mm-hmm. other video game one. Yes, also by Terry Nation. Ah, uh, yeah, I like those because of the clues, the riddles, the hitting levels, the going to different things. I agree. I would prefer that. But for this one particular puzzle, it was pretty poorly done. And I have to say, these puzzles up to the end of this one are kind of easy. How embarrassing must be for the people that literally died (laughs) trying to figure it out. Yes. Like three or four people. (laughs) To be fair with that maze, I usually, when I see mazes, is you trace in the open parts, not on the actual solid line. I was also wondering if that maze, if you got it wrong and went down a dead end, does it kill you? That was my thought. Like, you only get one shot. Yeah. I'm sure there's some sort of rules from, like, the Legends of the Hidden Temple or something. that could. <laughs> I just want to see the Doctor and Bilal do that, Legends of the Hidden Temple, or any sort of Nickelodeon kind of game like that. That would be wonderful. What I need now is the mashup of Legends <laughs> of the Hidden Temple with Doctor Who. Yes. Or at least Double Dare. Or Double Dare, yes. I mean, Global Guts could be fun as well. (laughs) Then we get to the final challenge. And the the final challenge, I don't know how the Doctor is able to just able to guess it, but... Hang on, there are two. So there's the empty room, which is when Bilal gets influenced by the city to kill the Doctor. And it's the moment that Pertwee walks into that room, he kind of looks fed up. And that might also be when he decided to quit. (laughs) (laughs) And then after that, they go into another room where they're attacked with a random LSD spiking. I have another WTF question before we go into that next room. When they were in the empty room, where did Bilal get the gun from? The doctor had been carrying it around because the doctor had gotten it from the Dalek who is underneath the city in the tunnel. Yeah, the doctor had been carrying it around. He sent Bilal to the corner of the room and then Bilal has the gun. He wasn't close enough to take it away from him. I don't know if they exchanged it. I don't know. Don, stop trying to make it make sense. It was off screen. They did it off screen. <laughs> Head cannon. he handed it to Bilal to do his Venusian hopscotch across the electric squares. But he didn't, because in the, in the shot, in the room, he didn't have it. <laughs> I don't know, Don. Also, the other thing I will say, any listeners out there, if you have not already seen this, if you are prone to epilepsy, <laughs> please oh. be careful with this part of episode four. Yeah, there are some psychedelic lighting effects that come from the random instance of MK Ultra. And here's my question. The doctor goes into that final room. He's ready to predict that it's going to be an assault on your sanity. And he tells Bilal to prepare yourself. How does one prepare yourself for an assault on your sanity? How, how do you do that? I know I wasn't ready when this serial began. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is where we get our gurn. We got our psychedelic freakout gurn. Yeah, we did. So it was plus glorious. one to the Pertwee Gun. You're, we're coming to an end of Pertwee Guns. This is quite sad. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> this part didn't last very long. It, it was a little bit underwhelming to a certain degree. But we get into the brain. Um, before we talk about that, we should touch on what is going on in parallel with this, with Sarah and Jill <sighs> being badass women. And Galloway and Hamilton climbing the city to plant explosives. Except you don't get to really watch Sarah Jane and Jill get to be those badass women. That's what's disappointing is, you know, they do something, but you don't get to see it. Yeah. (laughs) But you get to watch the guys climb up to the top of a building and start setting up explosives. 
you kind of get to see Sarah doing a bit more of it because she sends Jill to go and grab... Well, actually, you get to see both of them. There's that scene where Sarah sends Jill to grab the extra bags and she has to run and avoid the Daleks and the Exelon starts stirring. And Sarah is the one saying, just fill the bags with anything. So I agree. I would have liked to have seen more of it, although not too much, because just watching them fill bags with sand probably would have lost its entertainment value quite quickly. (laughs) But to at least see them start to do it and maybe the switcheroo with the perineum. But in any case, that I wasn't super thrilled with. Yeah, so we talked about what happened in between. Yep. So the brain. (laughs) Well, before the brain... They're cutting between these shots of what appears to be an Exelon watching them on a monitor back and forth. Yes. And I kept going, wait, what is this guy? Is there someone actually there? And then they open up the door and it just crumbles to dust. I thought that was pretty awesome. Yeah, it was definitely a curveball. And I really liked that. I thought it was going to be something where... The city would take a hostage if you were smart enough. Kind of what happened in fiction land. Yeah. Mm. Where if you were smart enough to to get to a certain point, then you would take over. I think that's probably what did happen just because the society has degenerated over the years. No one has been smart enough to do that for hundreds, thousands of years. So there's just been this one dead guy in the chair ever since the last person. He was the last person to do it. I agree with you, Julie. I think that's probably what did happen and just no one's done it since, basically. Any case, this one thing that happens while the doctor is fidgeting, finagling and about to cause a nervous breakdown, apparently, they're creating antibodies. And you know what, Anthony, what that reminded me of? What's that? That big finish that we covered. Oh, binary. Binary. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even think of that because that was so long ago. But yes. That was quite a cool effect as well. Yep. I think it would have been kind of cool if they were a little bit more similar to what had been in Binary, because that would have been really fun parallel. Go Big Finish. But it was still fun. Big Finish still probably took it from this and expanded on it. Right. And, you know, I think it's pretty cool that the city generates antibodies to stop it from being attacked. Like, that really gives more credence to that idea of it being a living entity. I like how its antibodies look like zombies. Yes. (laughs) Yes, they do. And I think the uh, TARDIS wikia entry even calls them zombies. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's awesome. One of them is, of course, played by Terry Walsh, John Pertwee's stuntman. We've been having fun this serial, but in particular with this and a lot of the other shots and the sets, I have to say, I think the production value in this serial is actually quite fantastic. I think that is really good. Yeah. I mean, I know like it's not the best in the world, but especially even the shots where Galloway goes up there with the set up the explosive at the top of the city on the beacon. I mean, I think all that looked really, really good. It does. And you get like first person Dalek shots during some of the fights. Yeah, I think Michael Bryant did a really good job with this. And honestly, based on this, the Green Death and the Sea Devils, he's rapidly becoming one of my favorite directors on the show. No arguments here. So the Daleks, are they coming to the rescue? Or not. Kind of. They're a diversion that lets them run out of there. Well, yes. So not really to the rescue, just wrong place, wrong time for the Daleks. Poor bastards. And they're super whiny Daleks too. Yes. <laughs> but not the whiniest. But he's coming up. But before that, when the antibodies attack the Doctor and Bilal, one of them kicks over the chair because why the hell not? I didn't even really register that. Sorry, Anthony. I wasn't ready to talk about chairs. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well played, sir. Well played. For anyone listening who doesn't understand the in-joke, go and listen to our episode on the Celestial Toymaker. Yes. I'll never live that down. <laughs> oh, God, no. Nope, nope. So let's talk about the neurotic Dalek. Oh. <laughs> so the Dalek notices that Jill is gone and completely just <laughs> loses its mind and self-destructs because it has lost one prisoner. I have failed. I have failed. I have failed. <laughs> oh, dear God. Oh. I didn't even know they could do that. Yeah, these are some interesting Daleks. They don't seem very frightening. No. I mean, I kind of like the idea that they are completely freaked out by the loss of their ray guns, basically, and they're just freaking out because of it. But they're also kind of stupid. I mean, when Galloway and Hamilton get down from the beacon and Galloway's decided they only need to use one bomb and he's just carrying the other one under his jacket, it's not subtle and the Daleks (laughs) don't notice. Let's be honest. This is the C-team Dalek. (laughs) (laughs) They were abandoned because of how dumb they were. Yes, exactly. Yes. This is not a vital mission. They just sent them there to get rid of them. Right. Because they're dumb and annoying. I don't care if they come back. I'm rapidly coming to the conclusion now that we know that Robert Holmes was acting script editor for this one because Terence was busy with his other show that was failing. That knowing that he also did not like the Daleks, I fully think that maybe he was sitting there sabotaging this one. Maybe you're right, because also another indication of something that makes the Daleks look really, really stupid is at the very end, on their ship, did you notice their controls for piloting the ship? It looked like a toy for preschoolers. (laughs) Yes. It it looked so simple that even an Ogron could fly that ship. That's how simple those controls looked. The big primary school blocks. I know. Circles. (laughs) All right. Doctor comes in, he gets with the group, and they all get quote-unquote captured by the Daleks. And then the Daleks, this is when they reveal their hand. This is where they say, oh, we're not going to bother to kill you because we're just going to take the perineum and we're going to take it and we're going to use it as ransom. That's where they show their hand. And they're going to fire a plague missile at Exelon to make future expeditions impossible. Another Terry trope. Yeah. But haha, they don't have it. Because Sarah and Jill have been badass off screen. Scene missing. And then we see (laughs) Galloway be not a complete dick and give up his life. Yeah, he basically does a kamikaze mission. Good for him. And we get more explosions. Is he like the Michael Bay of the Sarah? (laughs) Things are blowing up left and right. Well, I mean, the city also just kind of melts in a way or erodes. We made s'mores over the weekend, went camping, and (laughs) it looked like roasted marshmallows. Nice one. (laughs) Uh. I've got to say, the sound effect that they play as the city is disintegrating, that kind of wailing is very, very eerie and was really, really effective. For once. Just makes that overuse of the musical cue that much worse because everything else (laughs) sound-wise was pretty darn good. And then we end on that weird phrase of the Doctor saying, now the universe is down to 699 wonders. End episode. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of respect this giant abomination that is trapping them all here and caused one of the mightiest civilizations of all time to degenerate into savages who uh, worship it. I mean, come on, Doctor. Really? Stamp things an abomination and you know it. I would like to nominate our neurotic Daleks for the camp count. Okay. Maybe three. Okay. Three? Three? Okay. I gotta say, I actually, during that scene, I don't know what it is wrong with me. I actually felt sorry for that little guy. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's go ahead and score this one. And I think I started off last time, so Don, get oh to start this time round. God, no. <laughs> Anchor us down with your score. Oh, this is this is bad. Okay, this is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> the story is, it's, uh, it's so frustrating because... Hang on, let me start again. I can't even. You can't even. I cannot even. There are so many things that are really good about this story. I love, like I said, the first 15 minutes, maybe even longer, of the first episode. I hate the fact that the crew that we meet, aside from one of them, doesn't have any personalities. The Dalek theme is terrible, and the Daleks don't need to be here. I love the concept of a living city. I hate the fact that Sarah Jane doesn't do a whole lot in this, but we get Belle, that cute little guy, as a temporary companion. I love that we get a Terry Nation video game plot at the end. I hate the fact that it's kind of dumb and the puzzles are easy. <laughs> I go back and forth, but the thing is, this is stupid. It's garbage, and I love it. It made me so happy because it was silly. I had to let go. In answer to my own question, I think Terry Nation is taking the piss. I really think the composer's taking the piss with the music here. <laughs> I think virtually everyone involved was taking a piss. And here's my score, and it's going to slide. I'm giving it, oh God, I didn't come up with a number, seven <clears throat> tainted exelons <laughs> out of ten. But, see, I held out until the very end. If you're a listener that loves this story, bump that up by two. If you're a listener that hates this story, you can subtract two because all of your arguments are correct. <laughs> this story defies analysis. You just have to go with it. <laughs> and that's what you get for making me go first. Next. This is Schrodinger's Terry Nation story. Is that mm -hmm. what this is? Yes. So for the purposes of averages, I'm just going to record that as your seven, Don. That's fine. <laughs> Julie. You're up next. Oh my god. <laughs> so I didn't like a lot about this serial, I'm not gonna lie. There was something about it, I just felt that first I was trying to decide if they were trying to do something new and crazy, and then I was like, nope, that's not the direction that they're going. And just there were a lot of things that rubbed me the wrong way. I totally get some of the amazing shots, some of the atmosphere is really good, but it's just scattered amongst other things that I think is just kind of worthless and pointless. I still enjoyed it, but <clears throat> just definitely not my favorite and not up to snuff uh, after watching The Invasion of the Dinosaurs. So I'm going to give this one 5.5 unfortunately named chemicals out of 10. <laughs> Oof, brutal. Riley, over to you. My rating is very similar to Don's. I really enjoyed this Fun, stupid plot, great sets, a very brisk pace. It's on an alien planet, and it's got a good bit of adventure. I really did like this, but I was, I was, before we even like started talking, going to give this even a 9. But I am deducting 0.5 for using the Daleks unnecessarily. They didn't need to be in it. And another 1 point for that repetitive and incessant musical cue drives me crazy. So therefore, doing all the math, that means I'm giving this 7.5 Awkward fingers to mouths out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
Speaking of which, before I give my score, I do want to take note of another awkward Pertwee moment. Once the Doctor sees Sarah and Jill after he gets out of the city and they've loaded up the Dalek ship with sand, Pertwee grabs Jill's hand completely unnecessarily and just holds it for a while. I don't know if anyone else noticed that, but I was like, dude, really? Hand holding I can be more okay with because I know people who hold hands when it's just completely... But he barely knows Jill. I'm more okay with it. It's not as creepy as other things. All right, fair enough. I really enjoyed this and I've been holding back a little. There is a nostalgia element for this. This was one of the earliest stories that came out on VHS because Daleks and it existed. But there's a lot here to like. I think Don and Riley have commented on how fun it is. I think Michael Bryan did a really great job with the direction. He does different things. He makes a lot of use of perspective and distance and shooting from above as they're walking through the little crevices in the quarries. I think it's really, really well directed. It does lose out because these Daleks are so stupid, so neurotic. I can headcanon that as they're just terrified because they've lost their weapons, but I still don't think they really work. And as we said, they didn't really need to be in it. But overall, I had fun with it. I like the Exelons. The costumes are pretty cool. And as I said, in my headcanon, whether it's true or not, everyone but Michael Bryant, who was trying his damn hardest as he directed this, was out to sabotage it and make the Daleks look dumb. Thank you, Robert Holmes. <laughs> so, Anthony, I'm sorry to interrupt. Would you say Terry Nation and everyone else were taking the piss? I would say Terry Nation and Michael Bryant were not taking the piss, but I would say absolutely everyone else working on this probably was, maybe also with the exception of John Pertwee, who was just getting fed up and wanting to leave during the making of this. Fair enough. But most people, yes, I would say they certainly were. So because of that... I don't think I can give it quite as high as Don O'Reilly, but I'm going to give it higher than Julie, and I'm going to give this one six and a half neurotic Daleks out of ten, which averages us out to 6.63 for the story. Officially a worse Dalek story based on our completely random and <laughs> subjective point-in-time scoring system. It is technically a worse Dalek story than Planet of the Daleks, but... It was still a lot of fun. So with that, we're at the end of the episode. We will be back next time round when we experience the return of some familiar places and also some familiar faces in the monster of Peladon. But in the meantime, thank you as always for listening. And in the meantime, have a good one. You have been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Don Smith, Riley Shrek, Julie Philippak, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, The C-Team Daleks, was recorded on Tuesday the 31st of May 2022. If this is your first time listening into the show, all of our previous episodes are available wherever you like to get your podcasts. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at at Watchers4D, and you can also email us at Watchers4D at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and consider leaving us a review or rating on your favorite podcasting app. All of those things really do help the show. And always remember, when faced with a difficult situation, it's probably still not a great idea to ally yourselves with the monsters that just tried, and failed, to kill you.